welcome to the Moto Witch Chronicles. I'm your host, Koji Halnwein, and this is episode six. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with a solo female motorcycle adventure rider. She's also a photographer and a videographer who's explored countless miles around the world in the hopes to inspire others and to give us all a chance to explore the world through her eyes. Her photography and her YouTube channel are an honest and stunning peek into life on the road as a solo female motorcyclist. So, Rosie Gabriel, thank you so much for joining us here at the Moto Witch Chronicles. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm so excited. I've been following you on Instagram for a long time. Some of the people listening now may or may not know your story. You're an adventure writer and a photographer. So I'd love to hear in your own words just a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got into riding motorcycles. Mm. Well, who I am, that's kind of a big question. And uh, I'm always evolving over the years and trying to find out exactly who that is and going more towards who I am. In the meantime, I've picked up adventure riding. And that is a huge passion of mine. I actually got into it when I was just 19 years old. That was 13 years ago. (laughs) And I did photography for many years professionally. So I kind of integrate that into what I'm doing. And I love to be creative and express myself so as you see on my instagram all of my my images there and in more recent the last couple years i started documenting my journeys through video and i started a youtube channel which is now kind of my baby pride and joy and what i've been nursing over the past year to kind of help inspire other people and to continue traveling of course On your YouTube channel, you are sharing basically your daily life on the road and what it's like to be Mm -hmm. a woman alone on the road. And you're sharing the views in some of these amazing places you're visiting. Can you tell Mm -hmm. me what the most memorable place you visited so far has been? That's a really hard question because each place I've visited has its own unique memories in itself. And it's not necessarily the place that was incredible and amazing, but it was the encounters and experiences I had. And each one was so profound and incredible. I I can't choose (laughs) one experience over the other. They were just so, each one was just so very unique. (laughs) One of my favorite trips of yours, because like I said, I've been following you on Instagram for a while. Mm. And um, one of my favorite trips of yours was to Oman. And in mm. one of your YouTube videos, you shared your journey across this mountain, down mm. all these sandy, tiny roads, like you couldn't even fit another car down them. And mm. they were so steep. And my heart was mm. racing with your heart. <laughs> and what goes through your mind when you find you're alone, at the top of a mountain or somewhere in the middle of a mountain and Mm -hmm. you're not sure if you're going to make that bend and there's a steep incline to your left like what what is that like so that was a really interesting trip because that was the first time I've ever ever done off-road to that degree and that was like 45 degree inclines with hairpin turns and as you said another car could barely pass you and you were going off a hundred meter drop and it was not only that but it was on really really slippery the stuff called fesh fesh which is basically like powdered silk it's very very slippery so as you're going down your tires are locking up and this being my very first time going on such terrain as this it was a little intimidating and you've watched the video so there was a lot of extra work involved in bleeping out all the curse words (laughs) (laughs) 
And the thing that kind of added to all that was I was on a KLR 650 and it was stock height and I'm five foot six and a half. And yes, that half does count. (laughs) (laughs) And I was on my tippy toes. I barely touched the ground. And so that was very intimidating. And had I been on a bike where I could touch the ground, it would have been a different story. Mm. But I like to challenge myself. (laughs) And not only that, but I don't like saying no to a possibility of something and I've always been I call myself an opportunist so I'm not someone who listens to I can't I don't know how what if all of these things and my life has kind of been a model of that and everything I've done from taking a singing contract in the Middle East to starting a photography company to starting vlogging all of these things I had no formal training in and to be honest a bit of me was like oh like I don't know what I'm doing but I never let that stop me I said here's an opportunity that's being presented to me and I'm going to take it and I'm going to see where this goes so the same principle is applied when I get on these roads where you know the logical normal person would say what the heck I'm by myself if I drop this extremely heavy bike that I can't pick up because I couldn't in the middle of nowhere, what am I going to do? But I don't let that thought even enter my head. And it's hard to explain to someone who, you know, this would this would be the logical reasoning, but it just, fear has never been something that's been present in my life. And I'm very blessed for that because it's taken me to so many places. But I kind of just went with the notion that whatever is going to happen, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And if something does go wrong, we'll be someone to help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> as they say god willing (laughs) (laughs) can i ask you what was it that started you on the road to solo adventuring at such a young age you were only 19 yeah so i'd done a few group mission volunteer trips as a teenager i was very blessed to have these opportunities to go to these second and third world countries to help other people and this kind of opened my eyes to a whole new world and i just thought i i need to go out there i need to explore I need to see other cultures and educate myself through this. And I also wanted to document it and help bring that back and show other people. And at the time, I was kind of getting into photography, so that was a big thing for me. And so my first solo trip was Southeast Asia. A lot of friends of mine in high school, they had gone off and done this adventure. So I thought, hey, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to go and do my photography and I'm going to meet the people and have this amazing cultural experience. But when I got there... And you kind of get hurtled onto a bus with a bunch of other tourists and you take a ride for 10 hours to the next city and you miss everything in between. And then you're just being shoved into a hostel with a bunch of other tourists, which is okay for some people. You know, everyone has their own uh, way of traveling. But to me, that just wasn't enough. That's I was I was very like, no, 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 that's not what I signed up for. (laughs) Yeah. And so when I was in the north of Thailand, I had rented one of those little scooter type things. And it was the first time I was ever on two wheels. And I did a little weekend trip. And after that, I was kind of, I was sold. I was like, oh my goodness, the freedom. This is, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I have to do. And I didn't even think twice about it. I'm just like, I'm going to buy a bike and I'm going to do my entire trip by motorcycle. And I had no idea what I was doing or anything like that. And I had volunteered at an orphanage up there and the uh, leader of the orphanage, she helped me go out and purchase a motorbike, like do all the paperwork and everything like this. So I did. So I chose a bike and I proceeded and I did 12,000 kilometers across Thailand, Laos, Vietnam and Cambodia. Wow. And I did it. 
by myself, yeah. And that was your first solo trip? Yeah. On a motorcycle. Wow. Yeah. So you, and I didn't tell my mom. Oh, <laughs> that was my next was question. Yeah, <laughs> At such a young uh, yeah. age, what did you tell your parents you were doing? <laughs> yeah, so my mom, bless her, she's been such a facilitator and beautiful support in my life. As you know, the minute I started walking, she saw, or even before that, she saw I had this free spirit and she never held me back. And I can only imagine as a mother, I mean, you are a mother, the fear that must go through your mind that, oh my gosh, you know, you just want your child to be safe. But she knew that I had another agenda and that I wanted to go out and see the world. And she didn't stop me. She just, you know, with all of her love and a lot of extra prayers, just sent me out into the world and said, "Okay, you go do your thing. And I'm sure she went gray a little early on in life. (laughs) And um, for this specific trip, I didn't tell her it was I I wouldn't say I lied to her, but I just kind of bended the truth a bit like, oh. The journey took a little extra longer today, a lot of potholes in the road, but didn't really tell her the means of my transportation. And then one day she flat out asked, so how is the bus system over there? And I was like, "Uh, (laughs) actually, (laughs) sorry, mom. And then every other day after that, I had to call her almost every day. (laughs) Wow. To let her know I was safe. That is um, so beautiful. Your mom sounds incredible. Yeah, she really is. But yeah, but that back then we didn't have GPS or these smartphones or anything like that. It was all just paper map and I didn't have the proper gear or any of this. Yeah. I had a backpack and I bungee corded it to the back of my bike and I actually rode in shorts and flip flops. Wow. <laughs> I had 12,000 kilometers. Yeah, which I, I don't advise. Uh, I'm not your at-gat girl uh, all the year, all the time. I don't, don't follow my lead. Do whatever feels right for you. Yeah. But I don't wear gear. But that's just me. Please don't follow by example. <laughs> and so, yeah. I, but I did crack one ankle and broke my foot on that trip. Ooh. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> so with you traveling by motorcycle, and you were on the trip with a broken ankle. How did you handle that? Like, what did you do then? Did you just stick around until you healed? Or did you end the trip? Oh, no, I, no, no, no. I got a cast and I continued on. What? And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as if a solo female on a bike didn't look strange enough back then as it is, I had a half leg cast on. <laughs> wow. And I continued. I didn't let it stop me. In fact, I didn't even realize my foot was broken I mean, it hurt, but I was still using it. And then I remember I was at this hostel uh, in south of Vietnam and the guy who ran the hostel is like, no, 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 your foot's broken. You need to go see a doctor. So I think for a whole two dollars or something, I got an x-ray and a cast put on and yeah, off I went. (laughs) So how do people in Southeast Asia react to a, a young woman alone on a motorcycle like this? kind of how they do everywhere I go everyone's just like wide-eyed and great big smiles and they're just so excited to see me in Asia specifically there everyone just wanted to touch my skin and my hair (laughs) they were just like so fascinated I mean anywhere I go everyone just wants to help me they just want to be there for me and invite me in their homes. And it's just such a beautiful thing to have this opportunity to have this cultural exchange with people. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I'm so happy that you don't receive that negativity that sometimes follows people, especially women on motorcycles. 
Yeah, well, I definitely get the uh, negativity online quite often. Online? And it's kind of t- yeah, yeah, oh. online. I never get it out there. Um, when I'm on the road, I never receive any negativity. And I think that goes with my philosophy of the energy you put out is the energy you're going to receive. Mm. So if you put out love, compassion, and just the willingness to be open to everything, that's what you're going to receive. And if you put out fear and anger and resentment, that's what you're going to attract in your life. So I've been very, I wouldn't even call it fortunate because, and it is fortunate, but I've never experienced anything bad on the road in the 13 years I've been traveling. But again, I'm a firm believer in whatever energy you put out there. And it's just pure love for Mm. everyone that I meet openness to all cultures and all people and we're all one yeah yeah one of the things i actually love most about your videos is your honesty you're very open you know you don't hide your mistakes you don't hide your fear you let people see what it's really like to be out there alone (laughs) on that bike you know whereas a lot of people tend to Mm -hmm. you know kind of they like to put on a brave face for public but I absolutely mm-hmm. adore it. I mean, I fear for you sometimes, but then, I, <laughs> but at the same point, I'm I'm right there with you. You know, I feel like I'm on this journey with yeah. you. It's yeah. it's really special to see. You know, one more question I, that I had about the places that you go to. How do you choose where you're going to travel to next on your motorcycle? I don't really choose. Actually, the places just sort of choose me. As I mentioned before, I'm an opportunist. Last year, for example, I had this grand idea of traveling all of India and Nepal. This was a big bucket list item for me. I really wanted to go there. So I bought my ticket. I had my visa set up. Everything was booked and ready to go. And suddenly I came across an opportunity where a fellow who was following me on social media had mentioned that he had ridden his motorcycle from Zanzibar to Cape Town and actually needed it returned. And because he was still in Germany, he couldn't do that. Meanwhile, the paperwork was running out and the bike had to get out of the country. So he asked asked me he's like could you ride my bike back for me and I was like uh yeah oh, wow. <laughs> um not gonna say no to that one because when am I gonna get a bike in Africa I just thought this is an incredible opportunity I can't pass this up and me with my absolute no concept of time or distance it's funny because I travel so much but I literally have no concept of time or distance and which is why I travel a lot by myself because I kind of just like meander around and do my thing but I thought oh yeah so I can do Cape Town to Zanzibar that's roughly 5,000 kilometers okay I can do that in two months and then I can still make my trip to India and do that for the next four months set done um the universe had other ideas for me (laughs) and then I thought you know what there's no point why would I rush Africa this is a, a, a beautiful opportunity I'm not going to rush it so I then decided to cancel India and just take my time which is kind of what I needed because I spent six weeks alone in Cape Town because I thought I was arriving to a perfectly good working order bike and that wasn't exactly the case and it's funny because life sort of throws these lessons in your lap so you can learn and that trip although it may seem that everything kind of blew up in my face it did but those were some of the most the deepest and the most profound lessons I've learned in my life that kind of goes with everything in your life everything that kind of goes wrong it's not like why is this happening to me it's Mm -hmm. like how is this happening for me how can I learn from this right yeah and I certainly learned a lot because David the owner of the bike drove it down no problem he never had any issue with the bike but it 
just that moment in time, it just decided to go because it had been sitting in Zanzibar for about seven years by the ocean, corroding from the inside out. Right. Yeah, everything went. The brakes went, the shock went, the forks went, the electrical system, everything. Ouch. Over the course of six months, that entire bike spontaneously combusted and left me stranded in many, many, many places across South Africa. And in the end, I had to forfeit my trip because the whole bike just basically blew up. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I was offered a bike from a company there. So when I feel it's time to go back, I have a bike waiting for me to oh, continue my trip, beautiful. which is really, yeah, really special. So I'm super excited when I get back to that. That would be amazing. Before you head off on a trip like that, I know you like to follow the flow as you're mm-hmm. going. But do you do any kind of research before your trips or any, any kind <laughs> <should>. of planning? <laughs> uh, one would suggest that would be a good idea. Um, <laughs> but how I've normally done my trips is I just kind of go and show up. I don't do any research about the country or anything. One, I don't like to have expectations of a place mm-hmm. because expectations lead to, you know, disappointments or certain ideas of things. I just kind of like to show up and just be like, wow, uh, which is always was really cool because South Africa had no idea how freaking beautiful and amazing that country is. Another thing I find is that so if you say you're going to South Africa, suddenly you have people saying, oh my gosh, don't go there. It's so dangerous. Oh, you're going to be raped and killed. It is the most dangerous country in the world, blah, 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 blah. So then suddenly you have all these negative yip, 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 yip going in your head, feeding you ideas. And also then you're going to have, you know, that kind of implanted in yourself. And you don't want that before you go somewhere. Yeah. Of course, you want to, if there's any sort of political things happening there, and if there is immediate danger, obviously, just use discernment in the information that is coming through. Only get it from those who have actually traveled the country. And I say travel the country like that is specific, because even the people living in the country, I found South Africans, they said the actual the worst things about their own country because they've lived in that turmoil and there's a lot of built up resentment over the years of pain that they've endured in that country so yeah it's just using discernment where this information is coming from a planning I pack the basics and I know the basics and this sort of thing Africa came to a bit of a surprise to me and I actually struggled with that bit of it because unlike any other place that I've traveled no matter where you go there's going to be mechanics who can fix your bike or have the tools and or parts that you need to fix your bike. So you don't really have to worry about carrying everything. But Africa is a different story because once you get into the heart of Africa, you know, you don't necessarily have access to these things. So suddenly that was going through my mind. I was like, oh, crap. And then the paperwork for all the borders and everything. And there's so many conflicting ideas and information coming from different people who've done this. And it was quite overwhelming, I found. And then even just figuring out the malaria situation. So Africa was a different story as far as planning went because suddenly I was faced with I actually had to plan a little bit Mm -hmm. (laughs) in order to do this uh such a big a big thing but normally I don't plan I just sort of go (laughs) right and it works for me. That's, That's that. Awesome. It works for me just fine. Even when it comes to on the actual road, accommodations, finding places to stay, I never plan in advance. Wow. Uh, even my route for the day, I have a general direction of where I'm going to go and kind of maybe what I want to see on the way. But I never say this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to stick to it because that doesn't leave room for, you know, if I meet someone and um, they want to take me somewhere or if I see this road or I want to stop and take those pictures. Mm-hmm. 
So I kind of literally just go with the flow. And then when it comes time to, you know, needing a place to stay or eating, I just eating, I just pick stuff up along the way. I'm, I don't eat a lot on the road and that's easy. Accommodation, I usually wild camp. So I don't camp at actual camp spots because I think it's silly to pay to pitch your tent somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I prefer being out in nature and by myself and then if there is cheap hostels in the area and it gets time to where I actually need a shower then I'll probably go there (laughs) or if I meet people along the way oftentimes people invite me in their homes which is a beautiful thing and Mm. really great to um, interact with the culture so I do a lot of homestays on the road but I literally just kind of leave it up to the universe and kind of what I just I don't worry about it just when the time arises and it's time to choose I just do that yeah yeah it sounds like you're living the actual definition of freedom you know you're not giving your yourself any stops really like any anything Mm -hmm. to stop you with that in mind you mentioned camping with all your experience in wild camping and packing camping gear for the motorcycle have you come across Mm -hmm. any tips or any bike gear that you feel on each trip you absolutely must have a comfortable mat is very important especially for me and especially if you're camping every night because it does get exhausting i mean i have back issues so that is a very important thing but even for a normal healthy body camping day after day can get wearing so investing in a good mat makes all the difference a tent as well because if your tent is enduring elements and whatnot you want it to be able to hold up in those situations and I used to be the person who I was very cheap and I'm like I don't need that I can make do with anything in fact one of my trips I was very adamant that I was going to do the whole trip sleeping in a hammock and I'm like I don't need a mat I don't need a tent and I couldn't really justify the cost at that time and so I went off on the trip only to find out the very first night while I'm 300 kilometers in the middle of a mountain nothing around not even a tree oh and no. you kind of need trees to put up a hammock and i'm like oh fuck oh my <laughs> like, gosh yeah realizing that okay i'm in a desert country there may not be not only do you like you don't need just one tree but you need two yeah uh to put up a hammock <laughs> so i learned the hard way and i yeah and then so it was a bit of a long story but i ended up going back buying a tent which then broke the next day oh, because no. it was that cheap and ended up having this. It was one of those pull and pop tents. You just yeah. pull it and it pops up. And it was very, very cheap. It was like $15 or something. And the second night, so I went back in town that night. I came back the second night and I was on the beach this time. And I was like, okay, I'll just put my tent up. And I guess I underestimated my own strength because I went to pull up the tent and it just went and I cracked oh, no. the yeah the middle thing so I had to pitch it with my tripod and some rope on my bike and I had this kind of soggy thing um, that I had to kind of curl up under to protect oh, wow. myself from the mosquitoes and elements and then but I still didn't have a mat because I was too hardcore you yeah know, I, I did this trip without a mat <laughs> and then you know a couple days in I was like what the hell am I thinking yeah <laughs> so yeah I, I kind of learned the hard way that a really good tent I and mean, then this is something that you and invest in it isn't cheap Mm -hmm. but it is something that will last a long time and trust me at the end of the day to put up a tent that takes two seconds to put up and you know it's going to be great and it packs down super small i have the msr hubba hubba two-person tent right super lightweight packs really nice on the bike and yeah after so many years of trying to make do and be really cheap i'm now like you know what it's okay this little investment is going to save me stress and stress will 
in turn not be so good for me over yeah. the t- over time. So find gear that that works for you and makes your life easier because mm-hmm. the road is not easy. It's not easy to travel like this, and so these little things do help. So awesome. don't you can be cheap, you know, maybe when you're younger and your body yeah. <laughs> handles this. But I mean, 32 is not old, but I'm feeling it. Yeah. So uh, good stuff like that and rock straps. Uh, I've made a couple of posts about those because I I literally used to take a bundle of rope and one of those bungee nets and just like wrap and wrap and wrap and wrap my gear around my bike and then go a few meters and it would be like half falling off and then I would have to rewrap and wrap. So yeah. I came across these rock straps a couple of years ago and. Uh, yeah, really make my life easier awesome. for a motorcycle. And they clip yeah. straight onto the motorcycle? Yeah, so there's uh, two ends of the strap. They both um, strap down to the bike and then it's on like a bungee cord and it just, yeah, straps your stuff down and you can pull it back and it pulls really nice and tight Ooh. and your stuff is secure. Super easy Ooh. system and pretty pretty affordable as well. That's awesome. Actually, speaking of gear, what kind of mm-hmm. gear are you bringing for your filming and your photography? Because that obviously takes up a lot of space and weight as well, you know? So yeah, that takes the majority of my weight and space. <laughs> yeah. So um, what, yeah, have sorry, what have you figured out there? Well, I am a bit of a perfectionist. And by a bit, I mean a lot. Like I kind of am the pain in my own ass type thing. Sorry, can I say that on here? <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> so, yeah. So because I am a perfectionist, I can't do just one camera angle. I have to do three camera angles. And, you know, if there's a gorgeous sunset, well, I, I have to have a fill in flash on my face. Right. So I'm probably the only motorcycle traveler out there that travels with a flash gun and three tripods wow yes see what i mean painted in my own ass wow. uh, uh, because it's quite heavy and it's yeah it's hard to fit all the gear on the bike i do travel with a dslr a photographer by trade good quality photos is important to me mm-hmm. and so I've, I've picking lenses is always the hardest part but i've narrowed it down to three lenses that i carry which is the 24 to 70 2.8 i don't do a lot of landscape photography if i did I would carry my 16 to 35, but I'm not a landscape person, so I don't carry that one. I have my 50 mil uh, 1.2 for nice portraits on the road, and then I have a 135 fixed focal length lens for my zoom lens. And then I do carry a flash gun just in case. Mm-hmm. And for vlogging, I use the Sony RX100 Mark V. It's this tiny little pocket camera, but it packs quite the punch. It actually films in 4K which I don't use, but the quality oh. is impeccable. And before I was just using my Canon DSLR and a GoPro, which was great quality, but it was a pain in the ass to always set up such a heavy camera. And then it would be hard to focus anything because everything with the Sony that I have, it's got this flip up screen and everything's automatic and it just focuses right. auto- automatically. And then I can actually see what I'm filming. So I just flip the screen up. I'm like, oh, hey, I'm in the screen. That's cool. I don't have to go back 10 times to see if I'm yeah. <laughs> doing this. Right. And then, of course, I have a couple of GoPros and various mounts that I use for those GoPros. If you are considering a GoPro for motorcycle travel specifically, the newest one that came out is the GoPro 6. I highly recommend that if you are considering getting a GoPro. It is a little bit of a hike in price. However, it is so worth it because the image stabilization in that thing, it's as if it's on a gimbal at all time. Oh, wow. Like I film while I'm riding and it looks like I have a full on 
film crew following me because it's so stable. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's yes. got to make a huge like, difference. Yeah. Don't bother with the five. Don't try and save the hundred bucks or whatever it is. Yeah. Like really the six, the stabilization is, is what sold me. And I'm like, oh, I need. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> that's an awesome recommendation. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I personally will appreciate that one. Now, you also travel with your dog, Winston, at times. Mm-hmm. Please yeah. tell us how you figured out that he would enjoy this. And what are your tips for people who want to bring their own dogs on the road? Mm-hmm. So Winston is a bit of a prodigy child. He's special. <laughs> so he's so like he's incredibly well behaved. I would like to attribute it to my amazing mothering and training skills. But I think he's just like he's a wise old soul. And so introducing him to the bike, he was just cool about it. He's like, all right, this is new. The very first trip I did with him, we bolted a little cage to the back of my KLR. I did a trip across the U.S. And that was his very first time on the bike. And he he was a bit scared about it, but it was because of all the vibrations back there. He wasn't next to me. The next trip that we did, I ended up buying one of these little dog bag things. I found it on, oh no, oh no, before that, sorry. I had a, I went to a thrift store and I found this baby Bjorn. Oh, right. Like old 70s baby carriers. And I put him in that. And that he loved because he was attached to me. He felt safe. He felt secure. And he's not a hyperactive dog. Like I walk him in the city with no leash and he stays right beside me. I fly with him for 20 hours and he stays quiet under my feet. Like he's just a very, very well behaved, quiet dog. And so putting him in this little front pouch was easy because he didn't wiggle. He didn't want to get out. He was just like, oh, cool. This is comfortable. And cool. I've got wind in my hair. It's like my head's out the car window, but permanently. This is awesome. Got him a pair of goggles, which he loved. When we're not moving, he doesn't like them. But when we're moving, he knows that it protects his eyes. So he doesn't seem to mind them. He was fine traveling. And then our first big trip we did from Vancouver down to Yosemite and back. It was 5,000 kilometers. Winston, Winston's great. He's my little pal. Yeah. Uh, We did that. At that point, I needed a bag that would be better for long distance travel because the baby Bjorn it didn't have a lot of room for to move around he was just kind of snuggled in there and that was kind of like day trip type bag so I found a bag off of Amazon and there would be some adjustments I would make to it for sure I wouldn't recommend this bag for everyone I'm quite a confident rider and I don't get distracted easily as you can tell in my videos Mm -hmm. I do a lot of things like using selfie poles off road and like fiddling whatever so do you have any tips then for other people who want to bring their dogs on their motorcycle journeys with them. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of depends on your dog, the size, their character, how adaptable they are to different situations. And if they've never been on a bike before, you kind of want to warm them up to the idea because you don't want to scare them. And your first priority is obviously yours and the dog's safety. So you don't want to put yourself in a situation where the dog's going to be frightened and cause you to get in an accident or anything like that. So finding a carrier that's going to be the best that they're most comfortable I tried Winston first on a carrier on my bike and then on a carrier on my front. He loved being attached to me more. And I actually, I preferred that as well because then I could monitor him and I knew he was safe and he was happy. But that's not going to work for everyone because it can be quite distracting to have a dog on your front. I'm a multitasker when I ride, so I'm used to that and I can handle that. But that's not going to work for everyone. And again, your safety, yours and the dog's safety is 
priority number one. So really find what works for you guys. Or a sidecar might be an option. I recently invested in a sidecar last year. So Winston now got upgraded. That was his wow. uh, last year's Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he he got a sidecar and he got new goggles as well. Um, and they are recently. so cute. They're absolutely amazing on yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, he loves them too, and I love them. Um, they're by a company called Rexpecs, and I think they're located in LA. A bit pricey, but for what you get and the quality, and the other goggles, they didn't sit right on his face, and it was a pain to put on, and they would kind of block his vision sometimes, but these are like full face awesomeness, and mm. he he loves them, and they look really cool too. That's awesome. <laughs> um, him being comfortable in his safety is a real priority for me, so in hot countries, just making sure that they're comfortable that they're keeping cool and that they're happy and mm. yeah it, nothing nothing beats traveling with your dog so if you're able to do that I uh, highly recommend oh, that's awesome okay so you've traveled alone and you've traveled with your dog do you often travel with other people or do you pick people up along the way and they join you on your journey I'm very particular about that. The only other person that I've traveled extensively with was my ex, who is also a long distance motorcycle traveler. And we're very similar in the way of how we travel and the type of people that we are. So it worked for us. And traveling is a very intimate thing. You have to be able to have the same ideas about what you want to do, where you want to go, and be okay with that and be compromising towards each other. And for me, because I do kind of fly by the seat of my pants. I love to stop a lot. I love to really integrate myself with the culture and the people. I travel very slowly. So that doesn't work for everyone. I really like my freedom and I don't like feeling like I'm hindering other people or that. Mm. Like I don't like to be rushed or pushed or anything like this. So I just prefer to actually travel by myself. Even if they're not rushing me or pushing me, I still kind of have this internal feeling like, oh, worrying about their needs and what they want to do too so yeah. I just like to complete freedom and oftentimes I have people asking me to join their riding groups or if they can meet me along the way to ride with me and immediately my heart starts to quicken I'm just like uh uh um that would be nice, but sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I did one trip in South Africa when I was there down to Lesotho with a couple and they were great. But then we joined with their friends into Lesotho and it was an absolute nightmare. I was just cursing the entire way. Like, why did I do this? So the next day I said, you know, you guys, you have to go on your own. Like, I need to do this on my own. <laughs> right. So I'd, I'd love to be able to travel more in groups and maybe for like weekend stuff. But no, I like to be by myself. What is the longest trip that you've done so far? Southeast Asia was six consecutive months. And then also South Africa was six consecutive months. Right. Yeah, so, I was, as I mentioned, I was planning to go for longer, but that got interrupted. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's it like then to come home after being on the road and on the move and to have all that freedom for such a long time? And then you have to come home to regular mm -hmm. everyday life. What's that like to settle in? It's quite difficult. And actually, when I do come home, I pretty much crash. I crash physically, I crash mentally, emotionally, all of the above. A lot of reasons why some people travel is to escape, you know, is to search out 
this freedom and this ultimate presence and this excitement and adventure and we love that but you know there might be an element of we're kind of running away from something as well right. and for me that's kind of the case like at home home has never been a comfortable idea for me I don't like being stuffed in a box for too long so it's quite difficult and then it's integrating yourself back into your normal everyday culture and life and you've seen so much and you've done so much and now trying to bring your vibrations back down and integrate back with normal life it's really difficult mm-hmm. and um, yeah I struggle a lot with it but it's also showing me that's what I have to work on too so right. Right. <laughs> I can't keep running away from that I have to that's what my goal for the summer is actually is to be home and to kind of be okay in this space because I don't want to keep coming back home for the rest of my life and nose diving yeah yeah with that in mind have you made any plans for any further trips in the future I wanted to go to Alaska this summer. I have all sorts of grand ideas of things that I want to do. My health hasn't been so great for so many years and I kind of keep pushing myself to go out and do these trips because when I'm on the road, I feel amazing. But although it does affect my body physically, but when I come home, I kind of crash emotionally and then my physical body is like, what the heck did you do to me? Mm. So I'm then having to repair from the last trip, which is already compounded from the trip before that, which is compounded from the trip before that. At the moment, I have all sorts of grand ideas of what I want to be doing right now. But realistically, my body's like, don't you dare. (laughs) And so I still may do Alaska this summer with Winston. That was an idea I had. And come the fall, I mean, I would love to go back to South Africa. I have a bike waiting there. I've had opportunities of people. Now people know that I pick up bikes anywhere. I have actually a gentleman uh, who has a bike in Mexico. He's like, can you drive my bike back to Canada for me? He's like, oh, that's so tempting. But I know my body just needs a rest. And I have so many videos to catch up on. I'm still only at the beginning of my South Africa series, which was a year and a half ago still. And since then, I've filmed 50 more videos outside of that trip. Oh, wow. So I have about 100 videos to work on. So my idea. Yeah, I know. And that thought alone overwhelms the crap out of me. So I think what the plan is, is I'm actually I have a Volkswagen Westphalia van. And because I don't do cold, I don't do winters, I'm just Mm -hmm. going to drive it towards Mexico and just day by day take my time be in nature have my laptop set up in my van and just do videos and wow yeah that sounds amazing (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then so until I get caught up on my series and my body's rested and healed and everything then I'm going to go back out and continue the adventures amazing okay so I'm sure that some people are listening to this and they're thinking that someday they might want to head out for themselves on a long trip. Do you have any advice for people thinking about getting started on something like that? Yeah, don't be afraid. It's very overwhelming. And a lot of us have these great ideas to do it. But then this fear comes into play. And you think of all the what ifs, or it just seems like a something that's not a reality. It's just too hard. But honestly, the hardest step is making that first step. And once you actually get out there, you realize, A, that all the prepping, planning, worrying that you did is irrelevant because when you're on the road, things just sort of happen and then you end up making up as as you go along. 
But it really is that first step that is the hardest to get over. And then once you're out there, everything just flows and everything is just amazing. So definitely try and get over that hurdle of taking that first step because that is the hardest step. And then also to be open minded, everything you thought you knew about everything, just throw that out the window. (laughs) Yeah, everything about what you learned as you're growing up or about your culture, about what you think you know about other cultures, just toss it out the window. Just be so open minded, so receptive to receiving and to learning. It's a journey and it's not only a journey to learn about other cultures, but it's a journey to learn about yourself. It's inevitable. Things will go wrong. Things will blow up in your face. But these are opportunities to learn. They're opportunities to learn about yourself and to grow. And so don't necessarily look at them like, oh my gosh, everything is happening to me and this is so horrible. Think of like, wow, this is happening for me and how can I use this and how can I learn from this? And this is such an amazing opportunity. And don't fear people or places you know that you may have heard about or whatever just go with an open mind and an open heart and you'll be amazed at what you'll find and you'll come back a different person and it's the best thing that you can do for yourself and for this world is to go out and travel and explore and experience other people that's awesome i love that yeah Yeah, i like that it makes me want to head out on the road now (laughs) (laughs) one of my last questions now is we get a lot of people listening to this who are either new writers or people who've never written before do you have Mm -hmm. any advice for those people listening who are thinking about getting into riding motorcycles yeah don't be intimidated by the bike start small because every bike you get on the first time you get on it it's going to feel big it's going to feel heavy it's going to feel like oh my gosh i'm never going to be able to manage this thing but give it some time and you get used to it and then eventually a week two weeks you're like i totally got this and then you're going to be like i want a bigger bike i you know and so just don't be intimidated by the thought of riding find a bike that suits you and yeah have fun it's the most amazing thing yeah. it's it's complete freedom <laughs> it really is and it's addictive once you start it's all you really yeah. think about yeah it's, it becomes a way of life and for me it's something that brings a lot of present it's a therapy it's a meditation for me i can't imagine life without two wheels yeah yeah listen rosie thank <laughs> yeah. you so much for sharing your stories and all this information it's been a real pleasure chatting with you today here on the moto witch chronicles my very last question can you tell everybody yes. listening where they can find you all across your your Instagram, your socials, your websites and everything? Sure. Uh, I don't have a website at the moment, but you can find me on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. And it's just my name, which is Rosie Gabriel. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. Yeah. (laughs) And I'll share all those links down in the show notes so people will be able to just click on it and they'll find you. Thank you so much. And I just wanted to add a quick thing. If anyone ever had any questions or anything, they are more than welcome to send me a private message or an email got my email listed on my channels there and I'd be more than happy to connect with them and help them out with anything that they have that is so beautiful thank you so much Rosie have a beautiful day thank you you too if you enjoyed this episode please rate review and subscribe now we love hearing back from you guys and if you want even more content head over to motowitch.com for articles written by world record holders adventure writers and new female writers alike if you're a female biker listening and you want to share your story email us at hello at motowitch.com or messages over at Motowitch Collective on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, ride safe.